Are you ready? Here we go. Test one, two, test one, two. I feel like I'm bouncing from cloud to cloud. Wow, we're ridiculous. So stay tuned. I like what we're doing. Or don't. Oh, that might be my favorite thing to ever happen. <laughs> Is this not the coolest <laughs> thing you've ever heard? Well, how about this? Yes. Hold up. It's the Pepper and Dylan After Show Show Podcast. Welcome to it. It is the After Show show for November 16th, 2022. Thank you so much for joining us. Special guest today, it's a big one, award-winning journalist, singer, songwriter, retired news anchor, best-selling author, <laughs> one of the most popular faces in all of Edmonton, Gord Steinke, is here uh, after his retirement, which happened August 31st. That's right. That was, uh, yeah, that's that was my last day. I had to give six months notice as per my contract, so right. it was the longest mm. retirement party going. <laughs> Everybody six, knew six months, yeah. And that's and thanks for a nice intro. It sounds impressive, but when you do this over thirty six or forty years, you know, of course, you're going to end up with all kinds of oh, different stuff. And we like want to touch it. on every one of them because <laughs> there's so many. Uh, there's so many stories. I mean, thirty six years in the business, thirty years with yeah, a one lot of station too. It's it's been amazing to watch things. You know how things have changed, not just in journalism but technology wise too, in broadcast. Oh, you guys have noticed that too. What, oh, you guys, for sure, for sure. You guys have been going what fifteen years, and congratulations on yeah. that here. Yeah. Wait, is it 16? Yes. We always we joke about it. 2006. Yeah. Which has been, yeah, it's been quite the ride and just so how another that industry has changed, for 15, sure. 15, 20 years, you'll, you'll be sitting in this chair <laughs> and people will be interviewing you. Well, uh, Dylan says he, we, we just want to make it to 20. Yeah, 20 years seems good. That's what I used to say, too. And I thought, well, I'll give another two. And then, and then all of a sudden you realize, I'm having so much fun doing this. It's still a riot. And I'm, I get up and I, I, I'm really looking forward to going to work. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, holy crap, 31 years. So how did it all start for you? Like, where did, where did the passion come from? Did you fall into this? Was this something you've always wanted? Well, that's a, yeah, I've always, I've been trying to figure that out for years. But I think uh, when I talked to my mom, um, I was an, one of those annoying kids that would run around at eight years old when, when you got a little, uh, she had a dictaphone. Nobody's going to know what a dictaphone is, but she was <laughs> worked in an office. And I would interview all my relatives, my grandfather. He and I would sing songs. I'd play accordion. I, I like to interview people. I was more interested in other people than I was in me. I just like, I don't know where I got that from, but I always read born them. that way. I guess so. I just like, I found people fascinating. So I really like to interview and find their backstory. And I guess apparently I was doing that from the age of eight. She has a tape, but no one's got a cassette player. So I can't hear myself interviewing my grandpa, but I would love to do that. He was a World War One vet. Probably, I, we got a, a cassette player, 100%. Right? We can We can probably get that for you. And, oh, right. And no, get, we can digitize it for you. Christmas gift for you. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah. Seriously, so can, I'll yeah. take you up on that. Yeah, I, we, easily. I've got my grandfather singing these old, like, World War One songs, and I'm playing and singing with him, and I'm interviewing him. He wouldn't tell me all the, the gory stories, of course, like soldiers don't. But he was just such a great, funny British gentleman. Right. So that's how I started, and then... Um, I had a school newspaper with a, with a friend of mine, Tom Grummet, who's in Saskatoon, when I was in grade three. I mean, that's, it's just a total nerd kind of a thing. And I'd interview people, and Tom came on to draw any comic book uh, aficionados. Well, no, Tom Grummet draws Batman, and he, he works for DC Marvel Comics. Oh, cool. He draws all kinds of stuff. Um, and he still does that to this day. So he, he illustrated it, so... That's There's awesome. these two nerds in, in grade three. <laughs> in elementary. Elementary, and my mom was doing the Gestetner no one's going to know what it is, that, but <laughs> that they were putting out the uh, the newspaper, right? So that's how I started that. But then uh, my family broke up we, at a, when I was in my teens. So my sister and I were, it was kind of one of those in the 70s. Nobody was really getting divorced. So it was kind of, it was a rough time put right. it that way for uh, the family dissolved. I went into rock and roll at 14. I was playing, with in, started playing in bands and stuff at that time. And they were kind of my, my family. They became my family. My sister went off in another direction, 
and more with motorcycle clubs and things like that. But, and God rest her soul, she's not with us anymore. But uh, I just ended up getting into music and I got out of high school, barely, and just, I was playing all through high school and then I just ended up um, going on the road until so I was, was 24 it? years old. Oh, I, wow. I was on the road playing in rock and roll bands all across Canada, mostly in Ontario, lots in Saskatchewan. So was music, that, that's what you thought you were going to be, as a rock star? And I had no doubt, that was it. Right. I had no, I was writing stories about uh, people, like I like to interview them, and I, and I was a bass player, lead singer, and we made a record, Inner City Larger Than Life. I played in bands around here called Slider, Hotshot, Wizard. We'd be out in Edmonton. We'd be all over Alberta. School bus breakdown. The whole story. There's a million of us out there. Right. And that was the background. And I went to Toronto, got in with a recording group called Inner City. And then um, I did that for many, many years uh, until the record came out and we toured it. And then it seemed like the money went down and I just got burned out by 24 wow. on the road. Yeah. So we played it with Sega Beach with bands like Teenage Head and oh, nice. all kinds of uh, wonderful tours. But it, man, it's a grind. I feel for musicians that are out there. It's, uh, I mean, it's six nights a week in a matinee on Saturdays, and one night you're in Hamilton. The next week you're right. in Wawa, and then you're playing North Bay, and then you go to Schreiber, and then you got a big gig in Toronto, and it's like, hey, we're rock stars. And right, then, right. All right, we're back to the Brulee Hotel and Penetang machine. <laughs> so, Wait, it's was a, there money like uh, from fourteen to twenty four? There had to have been some money. It that kept you're me going. I never went on unemployment, right? And I never went on welfare. But it was just you're living hand to mouth and. I mean, I had I had so little money. Even though we had a nice bus and good management, I was boiling my my bass guitar strings in the hotel room because we couldn't afford strings. So if you boil your guitar strings in a little bit of vinegar and water, they, they snap back and they're nice and bright. Was well, that again. right? Yeah, little trick for for guys who want to spend. I think it's forty bucks now for a set of strings. I just paid for some Rotosound Roundwounds. So you're still playing? Oh yeah, I'm still playing. Randy Rink, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Randy Rink is a well-known guitar player around town. Well, he was playing in some of my bands in 78, 79 out of Saskatoon with Quicksilver Talent Agency and our management company, Northwinds, too. And Randy's still playing. That's all he's done. He's one of these, my age, and all he's done is played. So people are going to recognize, musicians will know who he is. Right. And he was just helping me move my sister-in-law uh, yesterday. We were just having a ball unloading the moving truck. Talking about old road stories. Remember that time in, right, right, right. You know, in St. Paul? Or remember that time in Grand Prairie? And so, yes, we're playing, uh, we're booked some festivals coming up next spring. So and we're doing Taste of Edmonton, and then uh, we've got a contract. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, with uh, Beaumont Blues Festival. We had mm -hmm. a contract, and the pandemic hit, so I think we're going to be doing that one, too. So Mark Schultz is a drummer. Probably familiar. Yeah, name. from yeah. CBC? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, and he channel. I think he worked for all the media outlets. Uh, just a, a sweetheart of a guy. So the three of us, we've got what we call a power trio. Randy does all the all the noodling and all the <laughs> rhythm. He does everything. So and I do the singing and write the songs and I put, love it with the bass. So we have a lot of fun and it's high high energy, high volume. So at, tw at 24, you decided you were going to give this up, uh, even though you're still playing it like as a side gig. Right. At 24, then I decided I better get my uh, my shit together, kind of, and I, I have to do something that's healthier. And so I thought, and it went back to my roots, like I was talking about with um, interviewing people. Right. And journalism and writing was something, like songwriting and journalism, they're tied together. So I went to University of Regina. I came back west. I was in Toronto. I came back. I went to the uh, U of R journalism school and uh, just... Took to it. I didn't know if my brain would still be able to function. You got to take economics <laughs> and sociology, right? And you come off the road after seven years. I'm like, do I have the, <laughs> the cells left? I'm a little mushy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 
I just took to it, and I guess I was hungry for something like that, you know, and uh, and also staying in the same place. And I'd met my wife that um, Deb uh, out there. She lived next to the band house, and and you're still with her, right? And she's still, I'm still with her. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. And um, yeah, she gave me uh, the okay to tell a few stories. Um, and uh, anyway, I was, yeah. So that's what happened. And I went got uh, as I was in journalism school. I worked. I drove a Brinks truck to try to pay the bills, and then I started interning at CBC Radio, and just fell in love with it. And uh, that's so. How, was, was radio the first thing you did? Yeah. Well, I was a photographer. I've always been to photography, so I worked for the Regina Leader Post, freelance, taking pictures and doing freelance business articles at about the age of twenty six. And uh, and I just uh, then I started with CBC Radio, and I was a, a behind the scenes researcher writer. And uh, Barbara Nymark, executive producer, came up one day and she goes, you know, you've been doing a good job. She says, you got a nice set of pipes. She said, we'd like to maybe put you on the air. And I said, I am not interested in that at all. I <laughs> My performance is behind me. And I didn't equate this to like performing is like a football team. You got a band behind you. Mm-hmm. So you're out there and you got a live audience. And this was really intimidating to me to be sitting here blabbing away, you know, to an audience. And uh, she said, well, I'm sorry to say your job's ending uh, because we don't, you know, you were filling <laughs> this in. This is your only choice. So I went, all right, when do I start? So I started filling in as a host and loved it. And that was an interview drive show and loved that. And then that was a fill-in, though, while the host was gone. And then the TV guys came down. Evan Purchase was his name. And uh, he said, uh, hey, you know, he says, uh, we like what you're doing. Would you be interested in moving upstairs to television? We'd like to get you uh, reporting for us and stuff. I said, I have no interest in TV. It seems superficial. Right. The clips are 10 seconds. You're not even telling a, a very good story mm-hmm. in television. I like my 15-minute radio. Well, I'm sorry, your job's... It's kind of, it's kind of <laughs> going away. It's always what's so happening. I said, when do I start? I said, but I had to cut my hair, and I didn't know how to tie a tie. So my friend Andre, who lived out in Vancouver, he tied a couple ties and sent them to me, and I wore no, those for years. I yeah. just learned this year. <laughs> 38 years old, I just learned. I, I honestly don't know how to do it. Uh, but it's crazy. I don't know? have to wear them. You'd have to wear one every single day. So you just wore the same ones? I had three, and uh, <laughs> I was only on on the weekends, two days anchoring and... and uh, yeah, the rest is reporting. Right. So I did that for uh, two years. And then by that time, I'm 28, 29. And then all of a sudden, I get a call from Anita Cleaver from uh, uh, an ABC affiliate in the States. And satellite TV back in the 80s was a big deal. It was just starting live television. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, we really like your clipped British accent. Would you be interested in moving to Minneapolis? We're doing a, an all-news channel like the headline news service, CNN. A clipped British accent. That's what she called me. She said, we love your clipped British accent. You know, so just Canadian. She was from like Virginia. She was like a Fox. Oh. She became a, a Fox executive producer. So she's more of a Southern, yep. Southern yeah. kind of a drawl. But with my accent coming in through the satellite, you know, they'd be watching us on the bird as they called it. Mm. And, uh, and I said, well, I've got my grandmother who lives in Minneapolis, but I said, I don't really, I'm doing good here at CBC and I'm not sure. And she, but it turned out I was just kind of filling in. Right. So I went to heck with it. I'm going. So I left. Oh, so you did do it. I did. I left my wife and daughter and I moved to Minneapolis. I didn't see him for three (laughs) months and I was on the air. I went from doing like stories in Regina to, uh, we did Manuel Noriega to Mikhail Gorbachev to, I interviewed Oliver North. So lots of international news. It was crazy. And everything was live. Like you just, they just put you out in a weather story. Next thing you're talking to, um, anchors in New York and Chicago and Florida. And I, we'd never done that in Canada. So I was really learning on my feet, and I did that for four years, and we had some visa problems. My wife couldn't work. My daughter was in junior high school, and then we got the call here from my agent in Minneapolis who was working in Dallas, Texas. She said, you know, they need someone in Edmonton. Um, 
to do the six o'clock news. They, they don't have an anchor. And I said, that would be great to go back to Canada because we were so distant back then. If I wanted to get any, any TV or news or, or anything out of uh, Canada, I had, to, I had bought a shortwave radio and I got CBC out of Johannesburg. Just to was, kind of stay up to date. Yeah, it was 400 miles from the Canadian border. There was no internet, no cell. You couldn't even get McLean's magazine sent down to find out what was going on. Really? So it just felt so isolated and we wanted to come home even though I had a few family members down there. So that's what we did. I went home and I went to ITV. And uh, I was on the air in a couple of weeks, and that was ninety January of 92. And that's when you started the 6 o'clock? Yeah. Was that with uh, Linda at the time? At the time, that was Leslie McDonald, and I did the 10 o'clock too, and it was Jacqueline Clark. Okay. So there was a 10-hour show that was just a killer. It was a monster newscast, so much fun. We'd have Elvis impersonators on, and or you'd have, uh, you could just do all kinds of creative hour-long show. And that, that 10 o'clock show was a real juggernaut for ITV. But the 6 o'clock was only a half hour back then. So the 6 o'clock wasn't the coveted spot? Not really. Not then? No. But uh, it would be that 10 o'clock was where the advertise uh, really huh. went. So I had a ball. I mean, I moved here, and the next thing I was doing the 6 and the 10, and we just rocked this town. It was great fun. Yeah, absolutely. And then yeah. uh, 30 years later. Yeah, and the, yeah, and the nice thing, 30 years later, <laughs> right? they always, they didn't mind me. I had hot rod motorcycles and choppers, and they, they always put them in their promos, you know, and oh, they yeah. let me do the rock band. We played the sidetrack, and we played... So the, they let you be you. They let me be me. Like, that's unheard of. That would never mm-hmm. happen now as a... As right, the just, proper news guy yeah, wouldn't, would wouldn't get happen. to be rolling up on a Harley. No, and opening up for Nickelback at the Shaw Conference Center or right. whatever, right? And I had ZZ Top come on our show just because, you know, through music connections and stuff. That would never... I don't think that would happen today. They wouldn't put up with it. No. Because you're not allowed to have any sort of a... Personality, it seems. Or thought. You have to be totally so objective. They don't want... They want you to just be... When the, did that change? Guy. Like, like you would have you would have gone through the best of times to what... Uh, I, I mean, seemingly so, is the worst of times. When did it change? Well, I would have to... Uh, I would say it started changing at least 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Right. It's, it was little bits and bites that, that started taking away from... Well, you you can't uh, take these. You you can't be go to the Oilers. You can't be a guest of the Oilers, or you can't go see Ozzy Osbourne with free tickets from even though you put them on the air. You know how it works. Sure, you know, Contra is done. Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. also the ski team. We were the ITV ski team. They outfit you in full gear, and you take the promo vehicles out. But you're flipping burgers. You're talking to people. It's part of promotion. That all ended. So everything got pulled back and pulled back and pulled back. So it's been a slow. It's just changed the whole business, and they're trying to do it so that they can combat all the fake news and everybody like that, so that you know everything's credible and on board. And I guess you know that's just the nature of the beast. But at your height, what was it like, like going out to a grocery store in this city? Like you have to be one of the most recognizable faces at your height. What was that yeah. like? And I think my height has a lot to do with it because I stand, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I stand out, I stand out like a sore thumb. It's true. Yeah. How tall are you? You can't miss him. Yeah, I'm 6'4". Six 6'4", four. Six four, yeah. So that's, but, uh, that's big. It's a big boy. <laughs> Where was I the other day? This happened yesterday. It's so funny. I'm wearing like a, an Alberta motorcycle safety hat. I've got an old dumpy park on. I've just, uh, I, I just uh, skill saw a, a deck apart and I throw it on the back of a trailer, a motorcycle trailer, and I take it to the junkyard and guy walks out and goes gord how's retirement <laughs> and you just assume that you're completely incognito right so i learned that that happened really fast because of the motorcycle community i was involved with and, and all the charities the motorcycle community here was amazing the musicians were amazing and back in the day i just i just worked it and uh, so it, it happened really quick where you couldn't go anywhere 
But people always had a nice thing to say. They always said, good job with that. Or we watched you cover the Pine Lake tornado. Or, wow, you're up at the Fort Lake McMurray wildfires. Or, and people were always generally very good. That changed a bit in the last year with COVID and conspiracy sure. theories. I'd be in Rona uh, yeah. and somebody would, would, would start pointing his finger at me going, come on, Gord, tell me the truth. It's all a hoax. Right. <laughs> it's all right, a hoax. Right. right. And I just look <laughs> Mainstream at Mainstream media, what are you doing? Yeah, fake news, <laughs> fake Gord, yelling at me down the, the road at, you know, home hardware. And then I'd, I would just, you have to smile and wave and right. just go, uh, we just follow science. And no, Trudeau's not writing my scripts. Right. We're just following did, science. Did that so, have anything to do with you deciding to retire? Well, a little bit, yeah. I think when you when you when I looked out the window one day and there was trucks with uh, Confederate flags and fake news uh, dr- driving round and round the station, it's it's not intimidating. It's just like sad, right? That we have people out there that are buying into this uh, the conspiracy theor- theories, and when you meet them and talk to them, um, it's uh, they're they're so locked in. They're not uh, you know this is democracy. It's supposed to be about debate and free speech, and sure. I'm ready to listen to your theory. Mm-hmm, just, mm-hmm. Give it, give it to me. Let's hear it. But it's so divided. It's so divided right now. Just look what happened with the midterm elections in the states. It's pretty much fifty-fifty down the road, uh, right across the board, mm-hmm. and uh, that tells you right there that uh, that uh, I'm hoping now that things are coming around to normalcy. But it just had a little bit to do with with that. I just thought after thirty-one years, I have to admit I've been through. I think it was nine premiers. Uh, the most fun guy was Ralph Klein. A lot oh, yeah. of people, but from my point <laughs> I of would view, imagine that was quite a thing. I used to do his pancake. Breakfast, show up on the motorcycle, and he'd like to come and sit on it. And George LaRock would come over, and mm-hmm. we'd flip pancakes. And those were great days. And the next day, I'd be giving him grief for uh, something he did in the budget. Right. But there was no kind of hard feelings back then, you know? It was like, I don't know. It, it's, I, everything's changed so much. Yeah. And, and is this, uh, I mean, doing 31 years uh, in, in the news, this has got to be the craziest as of right now, with with how the internet is uh, so widely uh, totally. accessible and and fake news is so widely accessible, it, like you've never seen anything like this. No, and it's uh, you know what it started. You know, I mean, social media is a lot to blame because people can go on anonymously and and spew out anything they want, mm-hmm. and then there'll be some people actually that just because they see it in print, they'll just buy it and just say, "Oh, that must be true." Then right, it's the opposite of what you said. <laughs> then you just get people. Yeah, coming in and uh, yeah, it's a total uh, weird world out there right now. And you were uh, prior to social media. I mean, it, it, it must have been a lot different then when not everyone had an opinion. Yeah, I or wouldn't a be voice. in this. Yeah, I would have lost my job a long time ago. If social media was around <laughs> when I was in my thirties and forties. I uh, cameras are everywhere. So. Yeah, <laughs> I feel that that would be. Uh, That's a tough one for people getting into the business. Mm-hmm. You really now have to watch what you say or cancel culture. You're out. Right. One, you only get one chance. See, I was listening to an interview the other day, and I thought it was uh, so you so well said. And it might have been, um, it might have been Doctor Phil. I'm not sure, but just that count, cancel culture it actually hurts us so much more than sure it should it does. be counseled. Yeah, Doctor uh, Phil, he's all about the, the council culture. Yeah, yeah. I, I agreed with that yeah. though. I thought that's great. Like if I say something that's ignorant. Uh, then let's sit down and talk, and and let's change let's that educate viewpoint. Aidus, yes, uh, but it's that like erasing happen. history as well. I don't, uh, I don't agree with that because we have to learn from history. How are we going to learn from our past mistakes if we don't keep it going? You can't just cancel books just because you don't like that part of history that happened. Mm-hmm. You have to teach the kids this is what happened, so it doesn't happen again. And yeah, I, I think that includes statues and churches and everything. I mean, I'm a Huge history buff. I've been spending so much time the last three months. I'm really getting into the, what the, happened in the Rail Rebellion and getting the Aboriginal side of like what happened at Frog Lake and Onion Lake and Blackfoot Crossing. 
And it's really fun to go and meet uh, uh, people that are on these reserves and, and talk about their culture. They're so proud of it. And it's been so, it now it's just been so put in the back and it's been written from, from our point of view. Right. From, from a Canadian, British Commonwealth mm-hmm. who came in and took over the land. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. Now you start to see it, I start to see it from a different point of view. And I'm thinking there might be another book in that, you know, just to tell the whole story. Why were they so angry and why are they so angry now? Um, you know, this many years later, it's, uh, you look at other Commonwealth con- countries that got, that went in and took over like Africa and Australia, just a sad, and we, we all made, mis- those are the huge mistakes that were made. But like you said, to learn from them. But learn from them. Yeah, that's the thing. And let's all try to come together and talk about it instead of just division, division, fight, finger point. And then that's where the, that's where the, the, the controversy and the lies start. Towards the end, I imagine your inbox was an interesting place. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was getting pretty <laughs> pretty jammed up. A lot of people were 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 very. Um, I was surprised at how supportive people were. They said, "You've really done your time, and you've been an inspiration in town with the charity work." That was nice mm-hmm. to hear. That I was kind of surprised by that actually because I come. You know, my dad's a hardworking German. He's uh, he he only quit being an electrician at the age of eighty five because the pandemic hit. Holy. So he was still running. So he and I thought he's not going to support me at all in this. He's going to say, "You got to keep working." He was one of my biggest supporters, uh, saying, "Yeah." He says, "You, I think you've done enough, and it's a crazy climate out there." And he knew this. I'd come home and I'd just be stressed out by, you know, we they think we have thick skin, but we don't. Yeah, and generally so, the, the the least uh, thick I think skin so. going, right? Which is yeah. So you say my inbox was full. It was full of wonderful well wishes, but it was also full of a well, good. It's about time you got off the air, spreading all these lies, you know, and that's. That's hurtful. Yeah, absolutely. After you've I, dedicated your career to hopefully doing what was right. Right. And I always like to say, hey, I'm a trained semi-professional, like a carpenter or a plumber or an electrician. I There's one way I was learned and taught over a four-year university program. This is how you, you, you try to stay objective. It's impossible. But you always get different sides of the story. You know, it's not me telling the story. I get people telling the story, and that's how we report. And uh, But people just, you know, don't get it. They just think you're spewing some kind of a... A company line or whatever. Right, right. What's so, the typical day like for when you were working for a, a newscast? It was, uh, it, it's a scramble. Every day, like when you say good night, you know, have a nice night, we'll, we'll see you tomorrow. You know that the next day you're starting with a clean slate and it's, here you start it all over again. So you, we all have a meeting. We're all sitting there. The assignment desk is working super hard to, to see what what's coming in like, uh, what press releases or what's going on, and then we dig into what the government press releases say and what's behind them. So the whole day is sort of a scramble to put together the cast, and then everybody's saying, well, what's our lead? Should we lead with this? Should we lead with that? And I know my thing, and most of us who'd been in it a long time, were what affects most people sitting at home watching? How does it affect their pocketbook? Interest rates are going up. They're having trouble putting food on the table. Let's do those stories so that people can, you know, the, the, instead of like maybe getting involved in a real oil and gas kind of story that with royalties and right. we would have that too. But it's a, the, the debate would be what do you lead with and then how do you follow it up and then how do you do sidebar stories that affect people at home. So, so did you, over your years, you obviously got more and more involved in that. Yeah. And, and towards the end, did everyone look to you because of uh, all your years experience? Did you get that kind of clout that you probably deserved or did... Uh, I think it's more like, uh, you know, it's not like the TV shows where, you know, you, you see... I think it's more like a team effort. Everybody's sitting there and you put in your... They would come to me for more for grammar and for vetting and do you think I'm being fair? 
at the end. You know, I would be more of a sort of a, a mentor to putting the story together for Porter came up. And also, uh, I'm a good source. They still call me. They need a, needed a phone number yesterday. For oh, just source. all the people you knew over the years. Right. So they call me at home and say, do you still have uh, so-and-so's number? I said, yeah, it's right here. And so I give it to them. So I'm still kind of involved that way. Yeah, all the relationships. But that, like, no, that think takes of all a, the interviews and, yeah. The, it, it, but it, it's genuine people that can keep those people and their numbers and their availability, right? Yeah. And, and you are one of the most down-to-earth guys in the city. And always have been. And uh, we, we were joking this morning, but uh, I've seen you at numerous parties before. Mm-hmm. And just like, you, you would, not what you think. Just a guy over there having fun, just having enjoying the party, and, right? And probably uh, interviewing in a way people don't know they're being interviewed to find out what makes that person tick. That's what I, I still do that. I still am curious to know, like, you know, uh, where'd you get that car? Why are you driving a hybrid? Or I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's Dylan. Yeah. Hey, there's nothing wrong with a hybrid um, I, car. I got one myself. I just, I just, I just got one a year ago. It's nice. a Camry hybrid. Nice. I love it. I went all, I had, uh, unfortunately, my uncle Don passed away. I took my mom out to Prince George in October. Another nice thing about being retired, I actually can do spur of the moment stuff. So I filled it up. I filled it up in Edmonton uh-huh. and I drove all the way to Prince George. And I still had, I think, about a third of a tank of gas. Look at this, Robbie. That's that, what I'm talking that's about. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. And in Prince George, a month ago, I think gas prices were about, we are over two bucks. Yeesh. Yeah. So I was really shocked. So I'm getting 900. Anyway, I'm not doing a car commercial. On, on there, like a tank. You should on be. On a tank. You should be. No, Dylan raves commercial. about his all the time. I, well, I love it. And you don't have to plug it in, right? That was my thing. I don't want to be plugged it in. We don't have the grid out there. Everybody talks about, we, well, we all got to have electric cars. Well, if everybody plugged in an electric car at five o'clock at night, the whole planet would go dark. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> They're working on it. They're slowly working on it. Yeah, right I don't now. know. It's going to happen in our lifetime. But anyway, a hybrid, it generates itself. Yeah. Charges uh, itself. So anyway, that's kind of cool. Yeah. there. I, I think everyone, should, like with gas prices, why not? I guess uh, people want their their big trucks, perhaps, maybe. But and I've got a pickup truck too, you know, because I live on an acreage and I'm always chainsawing something or taking something away. So yeah. you need that too. Yeah. I, I'm curious, where do you think with uh, your 31 years in, in doing uh, news, where do you think it's headed? Where do you think it's going? What do you think? Because we always talk in here that like, uh, like news now becomes just your Facebook feed. News now becomes, and that's not real news. That's just opinion. Yeah. And so, that's also who knows where it's coming from. Well, yeah. You can find real news on there, but how do you know? Yeah. yeah. How, like who, who do you trust? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And what you read, I mean, I've seen, uh, uh, I've seen people take like our global logo or the global logo and put it on something that isn't from global and, and then put it out there and people just see the, the logo, whether it be CBC or CTV logo, yeah. slap it on. And people of course would be like, if my dad saw that, he'd go, Oh look, it's right here. It's the CTV that's credible or ABC CBS. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's, it's something that uh, there's not enough. We used to be the watchdogs of power. We were the ones, the journalists, that was one thing I was taught was like, we're the ones take, keeping an eye on politicians and party power. You know, that, that's one thing I learned over, well, 36 years doing this was that you watch politicians and eventually many of them back in the old days, there was no internet or anything. You wouldn't believe what these guys are getting away with. And if you, that was your job was to dig up what happened. Like I remember in Saskatchewan, the, the premier Grant Devine, half of, I think many part of his cabinet ended up going to jail over deals that never would have been caught or found if it wasn't for journalists digging into these stories. Well, now everything's out there. Yeah, no one can but nobody seems to care. Right. 
It just seems like, oh, I say I'm sorry. Oh, I said I'm sorry, and I'll say I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that on Twitter. I don't know what I was thinking. Must have been too much cold medication. <laughs> yeah, that's a common yeah excuse. <laughs> and yeah. then uh, then everything's given, forgiven, and then they move on to the next stupid thing. So mm. where is this headed? I think technology is going in such a way we, we're going to need some better watchdogs over what's happening and what we're seeing on social media. And that's those are already in the works. People are already starting to come in and just be a little watch what's on Facebook, and well, we're but, more aware of it anyway. But on the other end, like someone like Elon Musk comes in, he buys Twitter because he wants to just open it up and let it be a free for all. Yeah, right. So, so there'll be no watchdogs. But how much of a free for all is it when he's already screwing around with the notifications and also uh, he just seems to be willy nilly canceling people? Yeah, yeah. If he doesn't like what they say, a little contradictory. It is. Yeah, yeah. It's hypocritical so, for sure. I mean, I know he's a genius, and I have a lot of respect for the stuff he's done and what, for what, what he's done with companies, but uh, I don't think he's a media uh, guy. Media savvy, not, yeah, right. not quite, no. Well, it's, it's a hard thing to probably navigate for anybody, and like just that big, that much power. And yikes. Yeah. What, uh, do you think that there, you say, since eight years old, you've been in love with interviewing, <laughs> you've been in love with uh, whether you're at a party or yeah, not? I've been annoying since I was eight. <laughs> but yeah. do, you, do you think there's any place for like a podcast for you, something like that, where we can get that side of you, where you can well, still I be would interviewing like to, people? Uh, yeah, I, to me right now, it seems like it's a lot of work. Uh, the one thing I have to admit is I do, I really do admit, uh, a miss is, well, there's two things I miss about it. Is, of course, the people I worked with. We were all great friends in the newsroom, So and now you know, they're just in the world. There had to have been someone that pissed you off, no? They were oh, all good? Inside the news? No, I think in, inside the newsroom, <laughs> well, every now and then there'd be somebody. <laughs> there you go. That's yeah. what I want to hear. <laughs> yeah. Now that you bring, thanks for bringing that up. Okay, sorry. <laughs> we don't need names, but yeah. I just wanted to know there was somebody. Yeah, but anyway, th- that was the camaraderie in there. We had a lot of laughs. I mean, and Carol Ann and I, sometimes we'd be on the, on the desk, and I, Linda was the same, too. We'd there would be something that would hit our funny bone and, and we'd be laughing so hard I had to jab a pencil into my knee to stop because we had like some, you know, a, you know, a murder in Detroit we had to talk about or, or some, you know, hurricane coming through Florida and I'm, we're crying with tears coming down. <laughs> commercial, some, commercial. I don't know if I can tell this story or not, but maybe I can. But I remember one night... Sometimes, you know, you're live every night. There's no delay. Like, I think in your radio, you probably have a bit of a uh, delay. We do everything here. 100% live. Yeah, most stations have a delay. That's what There's I thought, a button but here. Yeah. Uh, uh, but we, we don't have it set up. It's, we're supposed to have a seven-second delay. We don't know how to use it. So we are always live. We have swears all the Boy, time. Boy, you guys are, that's uh, on the tightrope. It's on the highway, <laughs> that is. But I mean, we've just, uh, that's, Pepper's always wanted it that way. And it's just something we've always done. Yeah, we've heard, uh, we've heard every swear yeah, uh, okay. on the air. And, and honestly, if we don't say it, if it's a, if it's a listener or a caller that, that phones in and says it, nor- normally no one complains or says a thing. We just say, well, oh, can't say that. And that's yeah. we move on. Luckily. Yeah. No, yeah no, and no, well, no. that's, yeah. In this day and age, I mean, that's a, the, the thing that gets me is, um, yeah, yeah. You could never curse on on the air. Period. Mm-hmm. TV has no delay at all. So if you're doing a Kendra Sagoski's out doing a live hit, and somebody walks up behind her and yells something rude, that's oh, yeah. that's what happens. You yeah. got to really watch it. And that that was kind of a trend a while ago. But, yeah, uh, the, uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So uh, things like that, you got to watch out. But uh, you know, because it's live, you're doing it all the time. I remember this one thing, and I think is I'm I can only it was traumatic for me. I can finally talk about it was um, we had a story on around Christmas time and we'd been going through the grind. I think there'd been an election that year. So you just go, 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 go. And the story would come on. Carol Ann's sitting beside me. She's reading it. It's a VO, what we call a voiceover. And it was a story about a two-headed baby. And it was in South America or something like that. It's just a 30-second thing. It's an interesting video. There's a baby. We can see it. And it's got two heads. 
And so the story was. So why the video is playing? You can actually see it. Like it comes out yeah, on your desk or something. I was looking at it on something? the monitor. Okay. So, and I hadn't seen it because I was. I'm busy at that time. I was busy doing my five o'clock. So often I'd walk into the six. I'd get one quick look at the scripts and go. You know, I had to tweak scripts is what we call it. So I'd have maybe twenty minutes to tweak scripts. So I didn't even get to that part. It was three quarters of the way through the show. So this anyway. This this video comes up and she's reading. She couldn't see it because she's reading it on the teleprompter. And I looked down, and for some reason, I thought it was a hoax. You know, I thought, just didn't, something about this story's weird. It's Christmas time. Uh, the baby, uh, they said there's a two headed baby. But anyway, the gist of it was a medical anomaly happened in Brazil, I think it was. And uh, uh, doctors now have to decide which head to remove um, to save the life of, this, of the baby, which is very touching. And, and for some reason, I, 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 the first thing I said, what popped into my head, and I, and I wasn't thinking. And when the story ended, it came back. I just looked at Carol Ann. I was supposed to go into the next story. And I said, well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see if two heads are better than one. <laughs> so yeah. phone How my, did that go? Yeah, it didn't go very well. And uh, <laughs> oh, no. I was, and I just thought, well, it's amazing, that, A, that the doctors could take a head off and then the baby would <laughs> could still survive. Mm-hmm. And uh, if it wasn't a hoax. And so anyway, so, uh, yeah, the phone lines lit up and uh, Michael Fulmus, the station director, came down and said, uh, I think we're going to have to suspend you. <laughs> oh, actually. Oh. Yeah, and, but it was it was our potluck uh, lunch the next day, and I just made this great lasagna. So I came up with, I, I just walked into work anyway. I said, look, I'll, I'll apologize because I don't know what I was thinking. I must have been tired, and it's, it wasn't funny. You know, other people said we were sitting at our dining room table. We're laughing so hard we <laughs> fell off our chairs, and sure. other people said, how dare you do that to, and he, they're absolutely right. It was very insensitive, and I'm not like that. So it kind of surprised me too, and I just—I must have just been. Having, did you have to apologize on air? So I did. <laughs> so I had to go on the next day and you know say something like, uh, uh, "Yesterday we had a medical story on about a about a baby," and I said something that wasn't very appropriate. And I really would like to, if I offended anybody, I'd like to apologize now. Right. So that's and, and that was enough at that time. That was enough at that time. There right. Was, right. The internet was. Yeah. That's. There wasn't enough. Uh, there was nothing on social media. Now that would have just been. I would have been fired. Yeah. You canceled. Right. I would canceled there, yeah. So anyway. Down with Gord. Yeah. And the funny thing is, not funny, but I mean, that literally cost me nights of sleep uh, after. Yeah, I was so stressed out. I felt so bad that I actually offended people that I was just, uh, I'm not, you know, it takes a while to get over something like that. I'm sure it's happened in your you guys get people coming in, or you might have a little bit more leeway. But sometimes you say something that well, yeah. seems okay, but then you realize yeah. hindsight, I might have offended somebody. And we get we get a ton of engagement on text, so we oh. can see we can see instantly if uh, right if people are unhappy. That would drive me crazy. Yeah, I couldn't do that. It can that. affect the show. It can it's it can the really worst derail thing things. that's happened uh, with technology. Is it, well, worst, best, and worst because now you can you can talk to everyone. Instantly, yeah, you can get opinions on every story instantly, and it's really great for us. It really like uh, we love when people contact the show. Uh, Robbie it makes it his like life's mission every morning to make sure he gets back to as many people as possible and make sure he it, reaches I, out. I think it helps That's make the admirable. show. That's a lot of work too. I just find it it's vitally important because they're just we need them. Yeah, we absolutely. need people to engage, and that's what makes the show better. Right. But at the same at the same time, you get about three or four a morning that just they just wake up and tell you that you're ugly. Yeah, <laughs> just they just want. To wake up yeah. and tell you you're a piece of shit. Well, that was like what happened with Jesse Byer, meteorologist, all the time. He'd be doing the guy. All he's doing is giving you what it's going to be like tomorrow. You know, it's going to be a sunny day. Or is it going to rain? And they're after him. You know, for the for his socks or his shoes or oh, his oh really suit or something. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, he kind of laughs it off. But I remember that's got to be it hurts. So I, it's a personal attack. 
over the years I've heard with news, uh, I don't know, do you call them anchors still? Like a yep. news anchor? I, over the years, Unless girls. in Britain, then it's presenters. Uh, news ah. presenter. Uh, girls get it just brutal. Oh, it's terrible. Like I to know. see what their inbox is like and yep. uh, everything from the weight to their makeup exactly. to what it's, they're wearing. Like, wh- why? And who would do that? Like, would you, if you're standing in line at Safeway with your cart and you looked at the woman next to you and went, are you kidding me? What do you, boy, that it makes you look fat. <laughs> I can't imagine. I mean, I can't imagine them doing that, but with the safety of being on... I guess. It tells you these people walk amongst us, and I don't like it. No. I don't like it any more now than I did. Yeah, it's true. Or I'm thinking this is exactly why I retired. Right, right. You keep talking, you know, it's just a weird world. Yeah, but it is that, like, it's that they're faceless, right? It's like the keyboard warrior. So were they there, though, when my dad was in the 50s? You know, working on the railroad in BC or farm, are these farm? Were, were these people, uh, you know, just stewing away while they combined their 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 wheat and <laughs> said, oh, "I can't stand Diefenbaker, <laughs> that Diefenbaker." I'll tell you what, I'll give him a one two. Well, they was must that have going been. on then? Yeah, they it must have been. To. But you'd have to be more brave to to say it to someone's face back then, right? Like I right. remember my grandfather's and getting around with a bottle of whiskey and there'd be a you know a hockey game on the black and white TV and every now and then you hear a fist pound on the table and they'd be having a political discussion. <laughs> but then three minutes later, they'd be rolling up another smoke and having another glass of whiskey and talking about the hockey game. They didn't have a bleep Trudeau sticker on the back of the tractor? They did not have a bleep. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was bleep Diefenbaker. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have it at that yeah. time. Yeah, down enough. with Diefenbaker. <laughs> right. Um, so... You got such an interesting life outside of. I can't believe I told the two-headed baby story. Well, no, we're that's interesting. Good. It was kind of like uh, it's been freeing. I really appreciate you guys. It's like therapy. Thanks for no. But if that's the if that's the worst thing that's happened, like has there been anything more recent in in the age of social media that you've done that that's concerned you? Well, not not really. No, not uh, not that I can think of. Sometimes you wonder if people. I like to promote my band and, and Randy and Mark and and so when the band's out playing, which will, it's gonna that's gonna get the rolling again the promotion as we start playing some. You wonder if you are you is it too much uh, self promotion or do people really care what I'm up to? You know you, that goes through your head. Mm. And so sometimes mm-hmm. you post something and you go like like I, every Thanksgiving I like to go get my turkey on the back of the Harley at the Hunterite Colony and I bungee cord it on the back. And it's just funny. People seem to think that's funny. I like doing it. So I post another one, and that's always a great reaction. Mm-hmm. But you wonder, why am I doing this? Like, <laughs> I'm getting this at Turkey anyway. What am I putting a picture of? Uh, so, I, you know, you've been a second guess it that way, but that's just because I'm not from that generation, I guess. Yeah, and we get we get pressured. I mean, it's part of the industry. Well, that's right. To, mm-hmm. to be active on social media is, can get you a job. It could get you fired or get you a job. Right. And we feel every day the pressure just... More, something. more, more. But, more. Yeah, and it's it becomes yeah, an I, issue. I don't... Put, I like a little uh, privacy. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's good. I, I try not to put up too much personally just because... Uh, same thing. Like, is this interesting? Do people really care what Do I'm they doing? they really care that I, you know, the... yeah. It's, it, it's but then you true. see all the crap that's out there, and and you kind of be like, okay, that's there's a lot worse. Yeah, like somebody right? posts a, here's my boiled egg I had this morning, and I put hey, no salt on it. Hey, I I <laughs> post pictures of food once in a while. Don't attack me. What are you doing? Uh, see, I'm not such a nice guy. Not at all. I trust me. I know Maybe that. Maybe Gord's one of those trolls. <laughs> every morning, you're ugly. What? Who what? is this guy Who from this, this number guy? that keeps doing this? Uh, two I think books? The, wait, it was Dylan is surprisingly ugly. No, that's what they. <laughs> That's said. the quote. I'm yeah. surprisingly ugly, which I guess is nice, right? Because they thought I was. I saw the looking. billboard. Dylan is surprisingly <laughs> ugly. That's the text we got. Really? Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. It's, it's yeah. Just... 
Well, yeah, at Global, we were lucky. We had a web team or somebody behind the scenes. I never went on Facebook ever, but they would say, oh, there's a bad one. I'd hear it from across the newsroom, <laughs> and I don't want to see it. No, please don't show us. Yeah, I, I'm kind of like the ostrich. Just stick your head in the sand and just mm. move forward. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. probably best. Award winning journalist, best selling author. Yeah, that was fun. What, how did blast. this come? You had two books? Uh, well, one was written for the states for publication, so I had to change some of the stories and some of the some of the spelling. Okay, uh, they they don't understand that if you say if you spell color in the United States C O L O U R, they have no idea what you're talking about. It's that hard for them to figure it's that hard, out. It's hard. Yeah. But I know I had a blast, and, and that story came about back to my rock and roll days. You'd play a place like Moose Jaw, and uh, this is about mobsters and rum runners of yeah. Canada. How did, it, where's that interest come from? Like, how does that even come to be? Like, what? Well, I've always had an interest in, in sort of organized crime and uh, mafia and uh, just organized crime in general. And I met people over the years playing in bands. He's getting weirder, Robbie. <laughs> like He's getting weirder. Uh, or, uh, interesting uh, conversations. Well, the club owners, uh, like in Ontario or anywhere, you, you know, you would always find an unsavory element in the nightclubs that some of the nightclubs we would be playing in. There'd be some kind of a connection or, you know, there would be motorcycle uh, clubs that would, that would be in maybe running the place or something. So you get to know them. They'd get to be friends or whatever. And so you'd hear stories. Well, and so I would always open up that conversation because I interview everybody. And I remember we played in Moose Jaw and the hotel owner had said, you know, I'd come down here after the gig and take a look at what's going on. And behind the Boiler was a bunch of uh, bricks that had been taken away, and you could look through them, and they were tunnels. And at that time, we just thought they were for Chinese slaves that Canada brought in to build the railroad. They were, that's where they actually lived. Mm. But then it turned out they began to filter in stories about a guy named Diamond Jim Grady, Al Capone, and the Prohibition. And so the more I dug into that, and I was living here in Edmonton, I went to a publisher at Lone Pine, and I said, you guys do so many great, interesting history books. I love them about the Wild West and all this stuff. What about the the mafia and the gangster connection in Canada? And she says, "Well, if you can prove that Al Capone is actually in Moose Jaw and had any kind of a an influence and was using Canadian families to get Canadian liquor across the the line and into prohibition fueled states, that'd be great." So I thought I'd write one chapter, and I started interviewing people in Moose Jaw, and they'd done a number of excavations, and sure enough, they found like American silver dollars, old rum. Bottles. There was old newspaper articles about this Diamond Jim Grady, who uh, was a main assassin for for Al Capone in about 1923. So I began to find the, and then the Sioux line came up from Chicago and intersected with the Canadian line that went right through Estevan, right through Moose Jaw. You could get from Chicago up in eight hours. So anyway, put it all together, wrote a little story, sent it to the publisher, and she goes, wow, this is fantastic. She said, we'd like you, you to go and do one every province. And I go, well, I work for a living. How am I going to do this? <laughs> and so they gave me two years. So I researched it from Nova Scotia to British Columbia, and it just opened up a fascinating can of worms that I'm still hearing from. Just the other day, a firefighter came up to me, and he goes, my grandfather has a picture of him with the Bromptmans in Yorkton, and they were making booze and selling to Dutchie Schultz, who was like a rival of Al Capone. And there were murders, and there was mayhem, and, and money being exchanged to the like millions of dollars today, coming out of little farm communities to get booze into Chicago. And then they would filter it in during Prohibition, and it was all organized crime. Wow. And so, uh, yeah, it was fascinating. You have that book, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I have one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I could do another, I could easily do another um, sequel to that, and I might. 
you know, coming up too. Because just traveling around, I've, people come up to me with stories all the time about their grandfather, somebody doing this. And I found two headstones, Amelia Piccarello and Florence Lissandra. They were hanged at Fort Saskatchewan for murdering a cop over a rum running chase in uh, the Crow's Nest Pass. And I began to wonder after I wrote the book, because I'd been in the hanging room. My aunt, when I first moved here, she went and showed me where they hang people at Fort Saskatchewan jail. And so I, I was able to visualize it and write about it. And, uh, and I, I, I said, well, where are they buried then? What are they just unmarked graves? Like this is a 40-year-old Italian businessman and sort of his mistress, Florence Lissandra, who's 21. They hanged her. They hanged a 21-year-old woman who obviously didn't kill a cop. Yeah. Anyway, it took six, seven years. We found the tombstones. And in the, the, the graveyard, St. Uh, so, Joaquin. And no one had find, found these Nobody before. knew where they were buried. And uh, the owner of uh, St. Joaquin Cemetery in downtown Edmonton went, he'd read it, knew, I'd said at some function I was emceeing, you know, if anybody knows anything about this or where they might be, just blah, blah, blah. And he goes, my grandfather has a story about that. And so he looked in the archives and sure enough, there was a, a caveat that said, you can't reveal where these executed prisoners are buried, but there was $2,500 from the family that just sat there. And so he took the money, put tombstones, and now students, history buffs, can go and see the tombstones of these two Albertans that were hanged uh, back in the 20s, including this young, quite an attractive woman, uh, Amelia. Amelia Piccarello was a businessman ran the Blairmore Hotel, mm -hmm. and Florence Sandra was, was there probably just by happenstance, a girlfriend of, of his son, and there's their graves right here in Edmonton. Jeez. How crazy that you uncovered crazy. all this, right? Yeah. So that's, it was neat. And then I tell that when I tell, give writing seminars to students, you can go and actually put your hand on these graves and there's history coming alive. And our history, you know, they say it's boring. You got to yeah. be with Jesse James. Well, that's just not true. There's, uh, did the book do well? Yeah, it became a bestseller. In, uh, and so what does, what does that mean as a bestseller I think that means it's, it uh, sells so many copies. Right. You have to get over, I don't know what, what the number is, but that's when the publisher said, congratulations, it's become a bestseller and still being sold in airports and stuff. So, And I still love, I went down to the Mob Museum in Las Vegas. They have me down to talk about it. So you give a little presentation and that's kind of creepy because you get, those aren't people that know me from here. Yeah. Those are just interested in me as telling mob stories from the 20s and 30s. And so you'll get these people that are sitting there that are actual mobsters because it's in the right. courtroom where, uh, that's a courtroom where Frank Sinatra and Sam Giancana guys were tried and they turned that into this beautiful, if you've never been there in Las Vegas, the Mob Museum is just amazing uh, display of artifacts and stuff. So you go down there and the people then that come up after for a book signing, hey, uh, yeah, <laughs> my brother, uh, Giuseppe, he, uh, yeah, he used to make the best tomato sauce, but... And the one guy I met was a friend of my mom's, Paulo. He lived to be 106. He was Al Capone's actual marble and tile guy in the 20s. So I went to Hawaii with him, and we Wild. sat and drank. A, he liked to drink Carlo Rossi wine and smoke cigars. <laughs> I think he was 90 then. And he gave me more of a description I was able to use of what Al Capone was really like and what the mob was really like in the 20s because he knew all these guys. He worked with them. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. And those guys are long gone now. Yeah. And, and so you... Perhaps a sequel. You're saying that you have that much information that you you can come out with another book. Well, there's been enough, and I'm gathering pictures and photographs from people. I said, well, if you can prove that your grandfather was with, stood with the Bronfmans at the time Dutchie Schultz murdered Paul Madoff on a railway station in Beanfate, Saskatchewan, I'm in. <laughs> so I sent him some stuff, and he sent me some stuff. So 
Very, very cool. That's insane. And that stuff never ends. So that's why retirement's not boring. No, it doesn't sound like in your life it would be. In the 31 years, what was like some of the high highlight moments for you? Well, they'd, I mean, they would have to be, I always like to bring back the first story that we covered when I first moved here was unheard of is they brought CTV and ITV together. Punky Gustafson uh, was a little girl, six years old, I believe. She was abducted and sexually assaulted and killed. And uh, we followed that story, and it was just heartbreaking story because uh, we had, had pictures of her, and nobody knew who the killer was. They found her body out by a truck trucking firm on 17th Street and uh, White, uh, uh, the freeway, Sherwood Park Freeway. Yeah, yeah. And so that's 92, and so it went on and on, and every night we were updating, has anybody seen anybody? What happened? You know, this poor little girl's gone. The family, obviously mortified, devastated. So finally they brought, Daphne Kewen was the, the anchor and myself, and we came together and did an hour special, I believe, out of our ITV studios. Like, that's unheard of. It's so, like you guys in radio, you know how yeah. competitive mm-hmm. it is. We came together and had all of the detectives on and everything, and then tried to generate clues because it was just oh. a just a blitz of trying to find out who killed. Did that happen often, or that was like the one and only time? Uh, where, where, that, oh, that's the one and only time. Where detectives would be on when people were like, like it was just that have, big a deal. And you'd have two students. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, together. It, it took this town, the city, by, it was a horrifying, because the killer's out there, a child killer and a child molester is out there somewhere amongst us. So that went on, and uh, eventually they they solved it. But it wasn't. It was took many years to solve. It turned out a guy that was in jail for another crime admitted to it or something. But uh, so that was it. Then of course Pine Lake tornado. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was one of the first times we could broadcast live here. I had a satellite hookup in a suitcase. That was kind of funny. But we were out at Pine Lake and the devastation of that. It's the first time you could broadcast live on location because just because we had a huge live truck that we could we could do in the area here, we could, yep. there was a way to do it. But when you got out to Pine Lake or, or an area outside, you had to hit satellites. So when you hit the satellite, it was kind of it was just like a, it was like a James Bond thing. I remember, and right. I didn't set it up. I had a cameraman with me. Yeah, it was really neat. But I mean, that was a devastating thing. The Fort McMurray wildfires is another example. Yeah, where the technology had changed by that time so much. We were ten minutes from. We were 10 minutes out of Fort McMurray. You could see the flames. You could see everything. And um, Paul was our cameraman, and he had a, a system where we could just set up in the ditch, and I could broadcast. we could broadcast live into our 6 o'clock by that point. So that's how you can do it. Now, that's how the te- technology has become so immediate that it's, it's just fascinating. And it's just great for the viewer because you, we can take you right to a scene like that, like right now. You know, yeah. yeah. How would that come to be? So, like Pine Lakes, <coughs> what, what, like how would that come to be? Like immediately, it happens. You're on well, the road immediately, and you're like, let's get the next broadcast. Yeah, we got the word after the broadcast, and then we we went out immediately, or the next day. Then we wouldn't go out and start broadcasting be, that that way because we didn't have another show to put it into at that time. So what we would do, like with the with the Fort McMurray wildfires, we went live from three o'clock. I think it was on the air from like three thirty right through till to eight o'clock at night. With with pictures just to cover it, yeah, yeah. just to cover it. So and then we were breaking into programming for that. That's really unusual when they tell you to break into a soap opera or something because that's big money. But I mean, uh, everyone was talking about it, right? Yeah, right. That was devastating for everybody. Yeah, Mm. yeah. That's where local news and local radio can really shine. Well, that's why I think that's what I said when I left at my going away speech was that you know I think we have to really carry the torch and, and wave the flag for for up and coming journalists because we need local journalists. More, yeah, you just nailed it, uh, mm-hmm. Robbie. With a, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. We need them more than any, and that's an indication. If something happens in your community, 
you need local journalists right now and you need that immediacy and you don't need it off Twitter. Some guy giving you his version of what's happening. You right. need a credible, trained journalist there and a crew. And we can do that in, in minutes. They can set up and, uh, and do it. And that's something we need more and more and more to try to counteract the BS that's happening from people who think they know what they're doing and they're doing it on Twitter. Right, right. Yeah, so many people doing that. We, we find, um, like, just because there's a lot of radio shows now in the city that are broadcast from out of Vancouver. There was one yep. that recently was uh, out of Seattle. Uh, some that come from, I believe, Nova Scotia, somewhere uh, somewhere in the Maritimes. It's happening in television in smaller markets, too. They're, they're being broadcast out of larger centers. But we just notice such a difference, like, because we can relate on so many levels, like the silliest of things, like when the sunrise. Well, yeah. Right? Because we've been approached sure. to maybe to syndicate in smaller markets and other places, but how? Like, the show is just meant for the city. Yeah. yeah. It's and you hard know to adjust. And that's the thing, is you, you know better than anybody, and, and what I always found, too, your viewers are, are really smart. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. your listeners are, are not dumb. They can pick that up in a flash, right? If somebody mispronounces a street name. Yeah. Or, oh, or constantly. Like, oh, yeah. I or, do it and I live here. Yeah, I, me too. <laughs> the Mutart we got yeah. yesterday. Just oh. People call us out. Yeah. Mutart? Mutart? We don't know. I don't, know. I don't know the right way, but they tried to tell yeah. us we were wrong. Yeah. And we are, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, and this is a tough... When I moved here from... Uh, from Minneapolis, I mean, Saskatchewan was pretty uh, was pretty straightforward. He had places like uh, Foam Lake and Climax and Love down the road, and <laughs> you know, and Esther Hazy and, and North Ballot, easy things. But you moved here, and it was like Wasetna. Well, if you look at Wasetna, and it comes up on the prompter, or you look at it in a script, a poor anchor coming in from somewhere else is That's no hard. clue. Yeah, yeah, even Quinell, <laughs> yeah, right? <Right>? Quesnel. <laughs> There's a lot. That reminds me of when I was down in the states, and I was, a, you know, a Canadian, a transplanted Canadian living there, and there was a story I forget, probably drug smuggling, came up out of southern Arizona, and I said, yeah, they said the big police convergence uh, right now, and no gills, and they went, no, it's not no, it's no gallus. Oh, okay. <laughs> My bad. Yeah. And, then, yeah, and then you think, oh, yeah, okay, well, we'll do that again. And then the other one was, um, I said, there's been a major recall on Nissan ZXs, and I think uh, um, uh, they're going to really be, you know, it's going to cost the company millions of dollars. And the camera guy f- was on the floor laughing. <laughs> oh, Z? Yeah. yeah. He said, what's a Z? <laughs> <laughs> uh, many, many years. What a Z is. It's the right way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Come over here. Let me show you a Z. I'll give you a Z. Going to ask while we have you here just for a couple more minutes, a relationship advice because you've been with your wife for how many years? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Well, and I only say that because... Uh, uh, it was 1982, and she and her daughter lived in the beside the band house. So I kn- I've known her since 82, and then we moved in together. It was nice because I got out of the band house. There you go. Not a, not a nice place? Not, well, after four years living with the same guys, even the way Phil used to squeeze his toothpaste, used to drive me crazy. <laughs> and he was a wonderful guitar How player. How could you do that? How could you toothpaste? do that? He didn't put the cap back on. <laughs> it's a band house. So that was nice. I got invited to move in there. That was great. She thought I was a beet farmer. She said because uh, we the semi truck and the or the big the big uh, uh, truck with the band geared roll up down this little Westmoreland Road in Oshawa, and they didn't know we were actually musicians except for the long hair, I guess. And then also we started recording this album. We we're all downstairs jamming. When you wake up in the morning, before you have coffee, you're down there jamming, getting a stuff all together. So anyway, she figured it out and then became a big fan. So long st- long answer is. We met in 82, 83, and then uh, we didn't get married till about 86. 83, met, 86, you're married, and been together ever since. Yeah. 
And it's been wonderful. It's been great. Oh, there's been some ups and downs for sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is where the relationship advice comes okay, in. Okay. No, I want it from you, not from me. Oh. What the hell do I know? Uh, okay. Well, the, the that's one. Well, she a is is a lot like me in that she's got a great sense of humor. She's been through the school of hard knocks. She came from a, a broken family as well. She was on her own, very young. Uh, had a lot of uh, sort of we've we've had a lot of well I I'm not going to just think it sounds like it's me everybody has tragedy in their life I lost my sister to a drunk driver in '96 and she's got but the the positive thing was I've got the best nephews that came out of that they're in their 30s they're hilarious they keep me going one's a, just a great musician so Deb and I have kind of a, a very similar pattern of the way we came out of nothing and and the school of hard knocks we call it and and. Uh, so we've been through thick and thin. There's absolutely nothing that could... Uh, nothing new that could shock you, shock the relationship? Or, or pull it apart because you just look at it and go, well, whatever. <laughs> and she's got a great sense of humor, so that's good. And and everybody, you know, she did have a, what do you call it, a honey-do list? Mm, but yeah. but it was more in her head, so it wasn't like a, a physical thing. So well, Like know, a honey-do when you retire? Yeah. All right. Yeah, so what I... But uh, she knows I wouldn't do it anyway. <laughs> and and it's just sort of, it's kind of, it's just been a lot of fun. I mean, we always have lots of laughs. And when you get through, if you get an argument or something like that, you know, it's time just to walk away and go into another side of the room. You come back and you have a laugh about it. Yeah. So. Are I you think, a romantic guy? Yeah, I think so. Maybe, like, I think I'm probably more romantic than she is. And and are do you, like this many years in, you're still romantic? Do you find that? Yeah, oh, Totally. Yeah, special. There's special. She she's a stickler for like dates, like ah, like anniversary. I just saw this. She remembers the day we got married, and you have no idea. It's in early June. <laughs> now you have no idea. <laughs> but it's just not stuck there, you know, like it is with her. Right. What did you say? I, I just saw. I think it was Justin Timberlake, uh, Jessica Beals. Yeah. The key to their relationship was date night. Okay. You have to have date night. That's yeah. what they're saying. Do you still have date nights regularly? Oh, totally, yeah. And it'll be like where you go out for a nice dinner and stuff. and Or you'll have a nice dinner in if you get lazy and don't feel like it. And I like to cook. So usually on those kind of nights, I'll, I'll cook something up. And Are you a good cook? I, I like to think so. I cook different stuff than she does. So yeah, I'm always experimenting. In fact, I've got these pumpkins now in the garage. And I've, it's just been such a busy... November. Yeah, thought, we've been trying to get you on the show forever. What the heck? I thought I this retiree would have no well, problem coming in. I'm, like yesterday, I did the Salvation Army kettle campaign, which was a riot because then, then you end up talking for an hour to everybody after. And then last week, it was no stone left alone, and there's a nice reception there. So that was great seeing old friends like Lori Hahn and people like that. And then they were moving my sister in law, and then I had to go. I, it's busy. Yeah, I don't know how I worked. <laughs> How did you fit it, all this in when you worked? But uh, yeah. what what is the what is the next step? Uh, I mean, retirement doesn't sound like it's going to be putting your feet up and just traveling and, and enjoying that. What well, are the next steps? You're still touring. Yeah, well, we're still going to be. Yeah, in the in the spring, we're going to be the band will be playing again. And uh, but I've I've got a couple of things. We're going to we're going to try this. This I just found out yesterday. This is bizarre. Is um, I was an honorary lieutenant colonel. And um, I've been invited to go to the cor uh, coronation of King Charles in London. What? So we're doing that May 5th. I don't know. Are you covering that for anyone or you're just going? I haven't even thought that far ahead yet. I'm just like looking at, well, where are we staying and what do I got to do and wh what's happening? So that's kind of, we're just putting that together. Well, but if you need to be our special correspondent, we wouldn't mind having Gord as our special correspondent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they'll do an exclusive there. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, that, you, so you got that invite how? I'm figuring it out. The Monarchist League of 
of Canada and my, my mom was involved somehow and then my honorary lieutenant colonel position and they only took 25 people from across Canada. That's amazing. It is. It's crazy. So um, yeah, just found that out yesterday. It hasn't really sunk in. I've just had a busy week. Yeah. So Stop I, moving your sister. Tell her to hire a mover yeah. company. <laughs> Something. You got other things to do. Yeah. <laughs> I know smokes. exactly. It's got to get her settled in there and I can put my feet up. I'm hoping December will be a little better. But I'm going to Mexico and that, uh, for a month and I've never gone anywhere for a month. And that involves a motorcycle and some um, ruins. A friend of ours lives down there. Oh. So we're going to do that. And then I want to go to Morocco on the motorcycle. That We go to Portugal I, but now that this London thing came up, I think I'm going to put the Portugal-Morocco motorcycle on. thing. Well, I was going to, but I'm going to tag on Vimy Ridge and go see where my grandfather fought. Ah, mm. And mom would love that. Vimy Ridge, I've been there. It's, it's oh, so humbling. I can't believe I haven't been there yet. Is it, what's it like when you... It, yeah, unbelievable. It's got to be... I didn't want... Like, you know what? I didn't want to go or anything like what that. What took I, you there? Why did you go? I was with uh, a girl I was dating. Her family wanted to go, and they said, let's let's on he- head on down there. And I didn't really understand did it. Did you have I, but, a connection? Family member? Military? No, and, and, but, and I was so humbled when I was there, and it was such an experience. And I didn't think it would be, because in school, I didn't pay that much attention. No, me neither back then. You know no. what? And, and so it didn't really uh, affect me. In your head, you think about it, but when you're standing uh when you're standing there and you're just looking around and you're just like you start playing what happened in your mind because of the fields haven't changed that much right i think from the battles and are there still trenches there uh there there can be you 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 can see like you can really picture it perfectly uh once you're there and it's just it takes you i was just like holy crap yeah it gave me such an appreciation that i didn't have yeah uh, when I was standing there, it was a somber day, but like uh, a, a proud day, a reflective day. I was just like, wow, this is like, I did not expect any of that to happen. So that's really cool. That you well, I'm there. hoping I'm going to do that and uh, do that at the tail end of this, this thing with the coronation, whatever. And then we're going to, yeah, my grandfather used to talk about, you know, being at Hill 70 and Vimy Ridge and Passchendaele. And he did tell a couple of crazy stories about slipping through enemy lines at Vimy Ridge and, so and he, coming around yeah. from behind and going against the textbook generals, he called them. And I can't wait. I mean, so, and I've never done that because you really only get two weeks work off work when you go. Yep. And you, mm-hmm. you, you, have, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, we've gone to England and saw the old homestead there. and But you, you just, or you go to Maui for a week. Sure. That's great. Stone wine. But you don't really get to see the... You know the whole get the flavor of the the country and the culture. So that's I'm, I'm more I'm more uh, kind of tuned into doing that than starting like a podcast right away. Mm-hmm. But then you wonder well, would I be able? Will people be interested in a podcast if I did it say next September or something? Because I do miss interviewing people and. Norm, sure, we'll help you get stuff. you on your way. We okay, can, we can set yeah. you up and help we'll you. Stay. I know you're connected. We'll stay yeah. in touch. We'll <laughs> <laughs> try our best. Well, thank you for giving up uh, your morning and coming down and sharing some time with us. We really do appreciate it. Maybe you can come back. Uh, anytime. I would love to. Yeah, we'll just give me a Pepper little, doesn't uh, seem to want to come in. Maybe we'll we'll need somebody, in. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Gord. Well, it's an and congratulations on all your success here. I know you're well-loved in Edmonton, and you, you put a smile on a lot of people's faces. I know my furnace guy was over two months ago, and the first thing he said, did you hear Pepper and Dylan this morning? Hey, this is good. Yeah. I like your furnace guy. We got guy. a furnace yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right we'll on. take it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Chris, Chris is a, a lot of big fans out there, so and congratulations on that. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Thanks thank a lot. Thanks so much. Thanks, Gord. There he is, award-winning journalist, singer, songwriter, best-selling author, and one of the, uh, well, most popular anchors this city's ever oh, yeah. seen. Legendary. Gord Estanky. Thanks for joining us. That is The After Show Show. The Pepper and Dylan Show. Kiss 91.7.